0: Good morning everybody. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. How's it going? Good? Great. Good to be with you all. Good to see you. Glad to have you with us. If you want, we'll stand up, pray, and praise God. Father, we uh, come before you this morning uh, united for your kingdom, for your glory. So we praise you. We thank you so much for this time to be together, this building you've given us this church you've built um, so we just pray as we praise you this morning as we hear your words that we grow uh, closer to you closer to each other and it's just a great morning for you and your glory God uh, we just pray for Leonard as he preaches pray to give us uh, ears to hear you through him and uh, pray for the youth and just all the lives that are being um, tended to today uh, so we praise you and we thank you so much God. To quell my hopes, to raise, but what I need, Your word is said,
1: is ever only Jesus. You die, You live, You reign, You plead. This love.
0: Kids are dismissed.
2: Hopefully, everybody's doing good, and, oh, there we go, thanks, Brian, okay. Um, Does anybody need any used batteries? We've got some up here, too. Um, So anyway, uh, let's start over. I'd like to welcome everybody, (coughs) welcome our, (coughs) now I've got a hairball, so it's gonna, it's not how you start out, it's how you end up, okay, so let's just keep that in mind. Um, (coughs) Now, um, (coughs) all right. This has got to be the worst beginning of a worship service (laughs) I think I've ever done. So we'll just reset it and um, start over. Um, There we go. Now, how many of you um, uh, have had a great week? How many of you have had an average week? How many of you have had a bad week? Okay, okay. Well, this message is for all the above because I know we are going into rocky territory whenever we come out of the pandemic and into the unknown and trying to redefine what the world is supposed to look like. And there's a lot of sort of um, what you would call disequilibrium in our ability to kind of process the world around us. And what I'm excited about is the, the, the journey that we are taking through the book of Daniel. And I believe it's a good way to get our bearings, our wits about us, because uh, if you look at the the graphic on the front, there is just this up and down um, meandering that's occurring that is an indication that the storyline of Daniel, in a lot of ways, I think parallels the storyline of what we're going through post-pandemic. And there's a lot that is being said in this book that I think resonates with all of us, both the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I hope if you guys have been sort of tuning into this message series, that you picked up one of these uh, booklets that we put together for daily devotions, Monday through Friday, uh, because it really fills in a lot of the gaps that maybe we can't cover in the message. But uh, all that to say is, I think that as we go through this story together, Uh, That we can take the good, the bad, and the ugly of life and we can process it through the lens of the experiences uh, that we explore in the life of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Um, So I'm really looking forward to that and I hope you guys uh, are able to track with us because it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, but before we get into that, I need to find out if there's any prayer concerns or any needs or anything on your heart today that um, you brought into this room that we can lift up in prayer. Anybody have anything that um, is weighing on you today? Jerry?
0: Uh, my sister, we buried her uh, husband last weekend,
2: last Sunday. Okay. I know you guys had a, had a series of losses in your family recently. Uh, and, of course, your sister losing her husband has been... Quite a um, uh, quite a quite a blow to your family, and um, so we'll keep you guys lifted up in our prayers as you go through that grief process. Kathy, I'm just thankful to be negative. <laughs> Here's a backstory here. Kathy sent a group text out and said, "I'm negative," and their immediate response was, "I guess I'm not going to have a sibling." um so then that took on a life of its own i eventually just had to say you know what i'm out this is a thing but what however you interpret that we're glad that you're negative okay all right anything else okay well let's just go ahead and just take everything that uh we brought in the room that maybe hasn't been shared and that that has and lift it before the lord would you bow with me Our Lord Jesus, you know that uh, the world that we live in is very messy and even our own lives as we think about um, the things that we try to control versus the things that seem out of control. And all of the ways that the day in the course of its unfolding uh, just emotionally can be up and down for any one of us. And yet we know that you are our stable center And we gather for worship because we derive from you as the source of everything that we need for life. The strength and the courage and the wisdom to be able to face each day knowing that we don't face it alone, but we trust that you are here with us, alongside us, and oftentimes leading us through things because you are that kind of a God where you are immersed in the mess. And because of that, we are grateful as we gather we trust that in the past week in the things that we've done well and right and the things where um, maybe we've stepped out of line and everything in between, uh, your grace is sufficient. But your truth also is the enabling uh, reality that helps us to navigate uh, what we need to sort out, what we need to follow, what we need to trust, and what we need to let go of. And all of those things we know, Father, are at work in our room as you are trying to help us to become Christ-like in being remade and transformed and renewed uh, into his image. And that is a very tall order. But we trust that whenever we lose a loved one, when we suffer with an illness or even cancer, when we are in a place of desperation, that you are there and you have this incredible way of working things together for your good, Lord, and for your purpose. And we don't fully understand that mystery, but we do know that as we navigate through life, if we are following you, that you have our backs, and we are so grateful as we can place confidence in who you are, who you claim to be, who you promise that uh, you are to us and what you promise you will do for us. So father help us to grasp those things as we take them out of this room and into the everyday lord i pray that the words that i say would be a reflection of what your will and your purpose is for everyone in the room i pray father that you give us the wisdom that we need as a church to move forward into the road ahead in a way that we are the influencers rather than those retreating from and as we go through the book of daniel father i pray that you would bless it Bless our engagement with it. Bless the the weekly guidance that we get devotionally. Help us as a church to be aligned with your purpose of the moment as we tune into Daniel. And Father, just as we lift up those who are hurting, those who are grieving, um, those who haven't even been mentioned but are clearly uh, fixated in our minds, uh, I just pray that you would pastorally be the good shepherd that those families need. And for encouragement, Lord, I pray that those who are struggling with just the despair of the moment, that they would find their hearts uh, lifted up and encouraged in you, Lord. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us that timely word, whether it is a word of, of encouragement or correction or rebuke, of, of just putting us on the right path. Help us to be open to that. And as we're being remade in all of these ways, Father, as a church and as a people, as families, as individuals, help us to pray together now our Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if you um, have been following along uh, in the book of Daniel, you know that we are on chapter 2, and we're just going to go up through chapter 7. There's actually more chapters ahead, up to 12. But for our purposes, we're just going to look at seven chapters uh, in seven weeks, so uh, is kind of strap yourself in and hang on for the ride, because uh, there's, there's a lot to cover. So as we get into it, uh, let's just pick up there, if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app or anything that um, you can follow along with, uh, please uh, feel free. Uh, but um, as, as it opens up in this chapter, uh, it, it, it's sort of like assuming that Daniel and his cohorts are really at the mercy of the power of the babylonian empire and in the telling of the story it has a sense of the turning of the tables from the most powerful empire ruler actually being affected and influenced by young men that are ages 15 to 17 18 years of age and how does something like like that happen where a world power and its very dominant ruler finds himself subject to the influence of four young men. Well, I think that that's that's our story in many ways, because we feel like we are the Daniels versus the Goliath. We feel like we are overwhelmed by the things that are happening in the world around us. And we wonder, is there a force greater than those forces that we can well, we, we, can, we, we can draw from, and we're going to see that in this story. So here we go. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep um, left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in, and they stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. So we're going to stop right there for just a second and just kind of put together what's happening. You have a king who has a dream, and it's obviously reoccurring in such a way that he can't escape what it's, the, the effect that it's having on his psyche. Chances are he's doing the Babylonian equivalent of taking medication, perhaps uh, doing whatever he's able to do to calm his mind, to keep himself from getting too worked up about a dream that's haunting him. So much so that he draws people in that he feels like have access to uh, the, the, that, that, that space beyond the veil where they can look at that dream and they can say, this is what it means. Because in that day, a dream for many people was sort of a reverse getting, getting the newspaper. It was kind of like, instead of telling you what happened, a dream was in their mind telling us what coming attractions are gonna be. And so these guys, well, Typically, what would happen is they would say, well, tell us the dream, and we'll give you an interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar was savvy enough. He didn't get to be a world ruler just because of circumstance and knowing the right people. He was savvy, savvy enough to know that they were going to try to do that, that, um, th- that thing. Have you ever seen the, the magic eight ball? Anybody remember that from as a kid? You know, you twist it around, and then it says, uh, I don't know, you know, am I going to be a millionaire whenever I grow up? Because you're doing it as a kid, and they will tell you something cryptic, and you're like, oh, that, that, that confirms it right there. That was sort of what the sense was with these guys. They knew how to do that little parlor trick really well. So as this story is set up, these are basically um, the people that have been harvested from all the nations that have been held captive, who are the best of the best, in what they do. And this this uh, event happened not only to them, but it happened to the Israelites where 10 years prior to Daniel coming, there were a wave of Israelites that were taken to Babylon. And when that happened, it was really a brain drain. It was like taking all of the best scientists, mathematicians, economists, uh, people that uh, were in the arts and just everything that made Culture and society, what it what it what it was. He said, "I want those people," and so he brought them to Babylon with the intent of basically retraining them for three years, and then giving them a new language, teaching them how to speak that language, and thinking in the, in the terms of a Babylonian way of life. And so that's where this whole story is. Ten years later, and after. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came in that second wave. Uh, They were walking into this situation. Okay, so enough of the background for the moment. Let's just continue on in the story. Because as as it continues to unfold in verse 10, it says, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For... uh, No great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king because um, it is so difficult. Except the gods whose, um, uh, whose, whose dwelling is not the flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. And that would include all the people that were being trained for three years in language and culture that had been established as the king's council. He's saying, I just want to kill them all. And in effect, he was saying, I want to kill Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So this is a guy that is completely and totally unhinged. He is looking at this dream and he is so frustrated, he said, just kill them all. And in that sort of Red Bull inspired overdone, too many candy bars rage, he said, just kill them all. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them as well. Then Daniel replied, and this is, the, I'm just going to push the pause button here in the story. Because put yourself in Daniel's shoes. You know the king is just completely and totally out of his mind. Can you imagine being ruled by a, by, by a ruler that's completely and totally just not with the program? And as that's happening, they're thinking, run for your lives because we don't know, we don't know when Armageddon is going to end because he can be very happy one minute, and the next minute, it's off with your head. And Daniel's fully aware of the instability of this king. And yet, the response is very intriguing, because he replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, who's basically the guy overseeing this program of retraining all of these bright people. And he said to him, um, Uh, who had gone out to kill uh, the wise men of Babylon, because Ariok's just, he's just beside himself. I mean, so he's gone through basically three years of training of these individuals. He's invested all of his capacities up to that point, and he's kind of downloaded that into their reprogramming, and his trust is that the king is going to be thrilled about the outcome. So he's not very happy about this either. And as he is... Discussing this with Daniel, the one thing that he has seen emerge in this three-year time is that Daniel and the guys who are with him, they're kind of above average. They have this sense of presence that is unlike any other nation. These are people that are grounded in something that, well, he noticed. And he's actually been influenced by Daniel as he has sought to be the influencer of Daniel. And when Daniel responds, he draws from something that has nothing to do with the world that they are living in. He draws from a reality that says, I am in control. And what is that reality? And are you able to draw from that reality? Because I honestly believe that we go through a lot of things. We're on the the visual surface level. We're like, I don't see how this math is going to play out. But the Christian life is a life that says, I am learning to trust that day in and day out, moment in and moment out, I'm asking God to guide me, to lead me, to show me. And I would say, and I, and I confess this to my daughter yesterday. I said, you know, you three guys, the one thing that I don't think I've done as well as I would like to have, and that is showing you The art, not the information, and not just the behavior of a family that we hope brings blessing, but the art of trusting the Lord in the day-to-day, in the challenges of the moment. Because in a lot of ways, in my role as father, I was like, they don't need to see all that stuff. Because I'm here to kind of protect them from it. But as I see them go out, I recognize that they are not fully calibrated in their spirit to go through life asking God moment by moment to help them as things come up in real time. And maybe, you know, I can atone for those sins, if you want to call it that, by just helping people as things unfold on the road ahead to understand that our faith isn't just about getting all the information right. The information is actually there to show you how to relate to a God who says, I'm here for you. And I have to believe that in that 10-year period of time when Daniel and the others were little kids and they knew that the best of the best had already been hauled off, that there were people that were left who said, we need to show you the art of trusting God in the day in and day out, to see with eyes that recognize the blessings of every moment of every day that are in front of us, to name them and to give thanks, but to also know when things come at you sideways that you never saw calming, that you can lean into that God and trust that God God is able to lead you through it. And I hope you guys, if you're not on that track of trusting God in that way, are willing to say, yes, I'm ready to leave this place and ask God about that thing or that problem or as it unfolds this week, that difficulty, ask him to help me and then trust that he will. And for others of you, I know you're on that track and you're just saying, how can I trust God even more? How can I see him even more? And then there are others who say, I've learned that. And now my issue is, how can I influence the people that are in my workplace? Now, my, my daughter has, she has a unique challenge uh, where she's working at at Dick's Sporting Goods. Because there probably is maybe one Christian in her in her team there, and there's a lot of thinking and a lot of behavior that just doesn't make sense to her as a Christian. And at times she's very frustrated, like she just wants to no longer be there. And her boss, especially, is somebody that um, dislikes to bring all of his own. He wants, for him, he wants the team to be his family, his church. He kind of crosses boundaries between the personal and the professional in ways that make Maya very uncomfortable. And I asked her, I said, I know you're just frustrated. And I know that there's a part of you that says, I would just like to be in a place where people think like I think. But I asked her, I said, But how often have you looked at that person, not on the social plane of what you see, but rather through the lens of what God sees, through the kingdom eyes? And that person that you're struggling with is actually a lost soul. How often have you prayed for them? How often have you asked the Lord to show himself to him? And this is why I think Daniel is so important, because Truly, we are living in a time when we thought that the world was, you know, hopefully going to move into a better direction only to find it going farther off the rails. And some of us, when we were younger, thought that Christianity would actually have a stronger foothold instead of an increasingly diminishing foothold. And some of us thought we could even win the culture wars, But if I could just show you a graphic real quick at the bottom of the thing, church attendance has been in decline since the 60s, and basically what that signals to us is, this is no longer a culture that has God front and center. This is a culture that is trying to define a way of life and a way of relating to one another where God has no place. And you don't have to go very far to see that in entertainment, in the workplace, even as we think about how we relate to one another without God. Babylon has definitely won the culture war. But the question for the church is, what does God want us to do about that? Is it recapture America? Or is it be the people in exile, like Daniel, Shadrach, and and Meshach, and Abednego, who are influencing places because we are drawing from a source that isn't of this world? So when Daniel replies with prudence and discretion to Ariok, he's not getting all in his head about the prospect of death. He's thinking, God, what do we do here? What do we need to do here? This is a dilemma. We got an unhinged king, and people are going to die. And so he says um, to the uh, the king's guard, um, uh, Why is this thing so urgent? And then Ariok made the matter known to to, uh, to uh, Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested right at the moment. A the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. Now, if you look at the front of this, it says this is a roadmap for how godly people live in a godless culture. And what Daniel is showing us is how to do that. Because we're trying to be godly people living in a godless culture, And we really don't know what to do. A lot of us would just say, I'd just like to retreat from it. I'd just like to retreat in a community of people who are like me. But Daniel's saying, it's probably not going to happen. You're probably going to live a life in exile where you are somewhat disconnected from that ideal vision of where you'd like to be, but it's not on accident. God is allowing us to be in the place where we're at, called to do the thing that we're called to do because his hope is we will learn to not only trust him in the day in and day out, bring him into our challenges and also recognize his blessings, but we will see the people that he has placed in our path as those who need the Lord. And Daniel had that vision. And so he created goodwill with um, Arioch and he said, you know what, I appreciate you coming in, being so candid about the situation. I need to talk to the king now. Here's the second thing that Daniel's doing that I think we have to pay attention to. And that is, have you ever had something happen to you that was, well, it was disconcerting. It was making you wring your hands, you are saying to yourself, Oh, man, this is bad. We've got we to gotta talk about this. I gotta, so-and-so is saying that this is the decree, and, and I don't know what to make of it. And you kind of get caught up in this little dither that you involve other people socially and relationally. You know what Daniel said? I'm just going to go talk to the source. Can I talk to the king and find out just exactly what is happening? Now, how many of us, when we have a problem with somebody, are willing to say, I just want to go talk to this person and find out from them what this means? Because we all know the telephone game, right? You get 10 people, say something the first one, pass it on. And every time, it's always the same thing, right? Every time. Not on this planet. Never. And Daniel said, I don't know what's going on. I'm gonna ask the king. And a believer says, I don't know what is going on. I'm gonna to talk to that person. And some of you may be saying, I don't have the courage to talk to that person. But where did Daniel get his courage? Because mind you, he's not very old. He's probably maybe 18 by this time. And he's requesting a word with the ruling ruler of the empire who doesn't talk to just anybody. Where does the courage come from when you need to talk to somebody and you are scared to death? From the one who says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I don't know how many times I've repeated that prayer, even white-knuckled it, walked into conversations that I honestly was very apprehensive about And found that God showed up. It's almost like God flexes when we are at our weakest. Like he likes that. And even whenever we come to faith, he basically says, you've come to a place in your life where you recognize you need me. It's a weakened position for sure. But it is a position that says I'm, not, I'm no longer so naive to think that I can handle all of life's challenges on my own, that I can do it my way. The forces are just far too great. I have to find a way to get through and past things that are much greater than I am. And once you come to that realization, like I think Daniel had to at some point you recognize that that's when God shows up and does his best work. So Daniel has all of this happening inside of him so that what is happening outside of him is able to be the right and appropriate response. And I would say post COVID, we've had to do more of this. How can I work on what's inside of me so that I can work on what is outside of me better than I I know I've ever had? And Daniel has had all that inner work happen to such a degree that um, he had courage and confidence. But I'm going to say something else about what we're reading here. Because even though Daniel had this courage and this confidence, what does he immediately do after he requests a discussion with the king? He goes back to a small group. That small community of people That he is consistently connected to. And that happens to be these three guys who share the same view of life, who have the same God, who recognize the same struggles, who are a safe place for him to say, hey, this is going on. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like having a circle of people that you can be candid with when you're struggling. And I think the church is by design supposed to be a safe place where we don't talk about one another behind one another's back. We don't exploit one another. We don't try to do things that would cause us to be defensive, but rather we show genuine and sincere and authentic Christian love. And I think when we meet in community and we recognize that, hey, we're all broken, we're all struggling, we're all going through things in life that um, we wouldn't tell people out there, but I know I can tell you. And I know that if I tell you, I can trust you not to use that against me later on, or you will use that in some way that um, will be threatening. But I can tell you in a way that says, hey, we're all in this together, we're all going to land in the same place down, way down the road. we got to work with each other. And there's something liberating about that, isn't there? There's something about knowing that it's not just you versus the world or even you and God versus the world, but on the vertical plane, there is you and God, and on the horizontal plane, there's a community of people that are supporting you. I don't think Daniel could have really gone through this Alone, very, very easily at all. I don't even know what the story would look like without his small group. And I really don't know what your story looks like because I do know this. If people don't get connected in church and relationship, in good relationships, healthy relationships, authentic relationships, they don't stick around. That's just the bottom line. They don't stick around. They don't become us. And us happens not in this room but Out there, serving, gathering, sharing, building up, praying for one another. That's a successful church. Daniel's just kind of showing us. I don't know if he realized all this was happening as it was unfolding. He's just doing instinctively what we have to tell ourselves hey, we should be doing that. Well, here we go. He talks to them about it, and um, they said, um, well, as you read read the text, um, Daniel's concerned about everybody, his companions, his co-workers, Nebuchadnezzar. He's being very proactive here. And as he shares this with them, he tells them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning uh, this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might, be, might not be destroyed with the rest of the men of Babylon. was revealed to Daniel in a vision uh, um, of the night and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and if you read that blessing because there's a lot here we're not going to be able to tackle it all in our time basically Daniel is saying thank you Lord for giving me that interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's vision because I couldn't do it without you and again to underscore the point how many of us go through life Day in and day out, big challenges, little challenges, things that just ask, invite to you, ask God to come into this. And Daniel trusted that God would help him, and he did. But he did that in a community that said, be praying about this. And I think strong prayers happen when we pray in community. With one another. Well, let's unfold this even farther because uh, Daniel's gone to his friends and now he's going to the king. Uh, so let's just uh, go on to the next slide if we can and uh, look at on verse 24, pick it up. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had approached, uh, appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and he said this to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. That is the people that probably don't like me because of what happened in the last chapter. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. And so he did. And then he tells the king this was the dream. Now, um, we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of men, the, the children of um, of men, the beasts of the field, and the herds of heaven, the birds of heaven. It's just been a good day, guys. Making you rule over them, them all. You are the head of gold, and the days of those kings of of the the, the kings that God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people it shall break in just as you saw that a stone um was out from a mountain um, cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke into pieces in the pieces of iron bronze clay silver and the gold and a grit and a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. So I just want to show a graphic real quickly of what Daniel saw and what he told the king. And the king kept this, kept having this recurring vision to basically of a series of kings and their kingdoms that would in succession rise and fall. His being the first. And Babylon being the great power that it was, the dream told him it's all going to end. And then you had the Medes and the Persians, like clockwork, step in and take over. And part of the book of Daniel shifts away from Babylon to the Persian reign with King Cyrus. But then that runs out of steam after a while. And the Greeks take over with Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world. And as he did that, um, he set up other kingdoms, but then, you know, he died. And things kind of started falling apart, and out of that, those ashes emerged the Roman Empire. And all of this stuff is being shown to Daniel in a way that says, These, this is the future news. And you, king, are disturbed about what is happening. The good news is, you are the you are the head. You're made of gold. And, um, and that's all Nebuchadnezzar heard was, I don't care about the rest. I just like that part. That's a good part. Tell me again. And there's this sense of um, just tuning into the things that he wants to hear and tuning out the things that he doesn't want to hear. But then he says at the end, uh, the whole thing rests on feet of clay, which means empires are going to come and empires are going to go. And there I say, that includes us. And so we have to be very careful about how much we attach ourselves to the place where we live. And we have to decide is it greater than our attachment to the kingdom that we are called to exist in? And the scripture is very clear. If you're with Christ, you are a stranger, you are an exile. We may be American citizens and believe me, I am so grateful for our country, our privileges, our rights, our responsibilities, our opportunities, no question. But I also know that um, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. And I recognize that in this telling of this story, um, we're just one in a long succession of kingdoms that come and go. And I have to ask as a pastor, how do I encourage people to be of the kingdom, but also to be the people of influence in the country that they are called to live in. And Daniel is showing us, hey, I am here not because this is my country. I'm in Babylon, a way of life that's very different than my country. But wherever I show up, God is saying, I have a purpose. And if we can capture that, from Daniel as a church and let that soak in. Now don't get me wrong. We need to pray for our government. We need to vote the right way, whatever way God leads you. We need to do those things that influence the, the environment around us in ways that bring blessing, which is what Daniel did. But Daniel wasn't so naive to recognize that um, God was allowing all this stuff. And he even stated as much. But as he's taking this dream and he's drawing from it uh, wisdom and knowledge he's actually using it as a signpost to the god who gave him the dream and nebuchadnezzar kind of wakes up to that but we also see he's sort of like yeah that was cool but on to the next thing daniel though has got a different background here he could have said i'm going to leverage this so that we can get back into power Hey, if we co-opt the Babylonian ruler and we get our, our 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 brain talent back in place, we could actually take over them, take over the empire, and we could possibly get our country back. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, that that probably was part of his his thought. But Daniel recognized something, and I I'm going to ask uh, ask if you can go back to um, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, which is. Simultaneous to what's happening here, Jeremiah actually um, is writing where there were people who were living in the wake of the brain drain, and they were saying, you know what, we've got to find a way to get our people back and get our country back and get these Babylonians out of here. And in Jeremiah 28, there was a prophet named Hananiah who was saying, God is going to do exactly that. He's going to take the Babylonians down. He's going to give us back the country, and life is going to be what it was in 1950, or their version of it. And Jeremiah calls them out and says, That's not true. That is not true. You are a false prophet. And that's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear a prophet who says, You're going to get your country back. And Jeremiah said, No, you're not. You're not going to see your country in your lifetime, it's gone. God's taking us all to Babylon. And he says in Babylon, that way of life is controlled by people that do not know God, who sometimes are out of their mind, that place, that's where you're gonna live. But while you're there, do this: plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have lots of children. Don't just dissolve into nothing as you're taken into exile. Then find spouses so that you may, you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, keep the, keep the line of David going. Do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city, where I sent you. And this is one of those things where, well, this is a bitter pill because he goes on to say in this in this uh, in these verses that you're going to be there for 70 years, and as you're there, I'm going to well. If you follow me, you turn away from foreign gods. I will prosper you. I will, as um, a- a- as he tells it, I will be that. I will be that presence in the midst of your exile. That, um, that is a source of blessing, and that's in verses ten and eleven. And we probably heard this once, if we've heard it ten times. That events, graduations, times of national repentance. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Have you ever read that in the context of what's going on, the drama that's going on here? That they're going to go into exile. It's going to be rough. But God says, I got plans. Trust the plan. And even as God looks at you, and he looks at me, he says, I have plans. Trust me. Trust me. And that really is the question on the table. Daniel said, I hear what Jeremiah is saying. And we know he heard what Jeremiah says because in Daniel 9, he talks about the 70 weeks. So he's privy to this information. And he's living according to how this script plays out. And he's trusting that God is sovereign over this. That God has given Nebuchadnezzar the responsibility of being the world leader so that his purposes in that environment will be fulfilled. As strange as it sounds, God allowed a very pagan ruler to take over. And in the midst of the conflict that creates for God's people, he's asking us and asking them, how much are you bringing me into that experience? How much are you trusting my word and my promises to guide you along the way? And so just uh, f- for the sake of time, we'll, we'll try to fast forward this, uh, the, the, the rest of the message with um, how, this, how this begins to, to take hold in Nebuchadnezzar's psyche. He, he hears what Daniel says, and he celebrates this. He goes so far even to say that if anybody says anything against the God of heaven, the God of Daniel, well, let them be torn apart limb by limb. (laughs) So he's still unhinged, but he's trying to take the moment and the humiliation of the dream and recognize that there is something going on with Daniel that's different And God may call you to do something in the workplace. I don't know if it would be as dramatic as that. But it may be just if you sit tight, ask your friends to pray, you may discover that God is going to lead you into this thing in a way that creates an outcome that you never saw coming. And I've been a pastor long enough and a believer long enough to know that that's what God does. He does the thing that we could never imagine. He does the thing that is beyond what we could ask or imagine. He does the impossible in his time. In his time. Not my time. I've got a timetable. You have a timetable. You have an expectation. I have an expectation. But God says, in my time. And we ought to trust him. And so Daniel's like, I didn't aspire to be in this place, I didn't want to be here, but I'm called to be here. If I'm called to be here, I'm trusting that God will give me what I need along the way. I honestly believe that's the way calling works. Whether you're called to be a vocational pastor like me, or whether you're called to serve in the church and you're thinking, I can't do that. God's saying, "Um, you'd be surprised what you can do if you ask me to come alongside because I think if God calls us, he's going to enable us. Otherwise, that's just not right. And if God enables us, then he's going to put in front of us ways that we can serve him and bring glory to him. Well, Daniel, I think, was one of those people called to be in this second wave of people trained so that he could be an influence on the king in a way that directed everybody's attention, not to him, but to the God he serves And what we're going to find out in this this journey through Daniel is chapter after chapter, Nebuchadnezzar starts out all braggadocio, but ends up humbled, and then recognizes that it is the God of heaven, the God of Daniel, that um, creates the outcome, and he praises him repeatedly. Then there's a king who comes up next, Cyrus or Belshazzar. He says, I don't want anything to do with that God. I'm living my life. I'm living La Vida Loco or whatever that means, something crazy. And God says, you're done. And he was out that night. And then there's King Cyrus, and he starts going through his stuff, and he recognizes the God of heaven, and he praises the God of heaven. The point being that somebody who is a non-Jewish person could read the book of Daniel, and it would be a testimony to God in a way that would speak to their lives. there's another character that's in the backdrop of the book of Daniel we haven't mentioned. And you know who that is? Jonah. Jonah. You remember Jonah the prophet? He's mentioned, I think, in 2 Kings, but he's also mentioned in the book of Jonah. And Jonah said, I'm living my life in peace, even though I know we've got evil people behind the wheel. hate those guys. And you know what God says? You need to go talk to him. You need to tell him who I am. And Jonah's like, I don't think so. And God's like, you need to do this. And Jonah says, we hate those people. They are why the world is such a mess. They are why my life is a wreck. And you want me to do What? You want me to go preach to those guys repentance? Are you kidding me? Did I say we hate those people? And God says, you don't understand why I put you here in the first place. And that was to reveal to the world who I am, the God of heaven. And that I want the world to know me. And I want the world to come to a saving knowledge of me. And Jonah goes, hey, can you imagine preaching a sermon where you're like, I'm preaching the sermon to people I cannot stand. People that disgust me to no end. People that I would just love to see burn in the flames of hell. I mean, that's really his mindset. And he says, you guys better repent. It's not going to end well. And you would think his half-hearted attempt at preaching repentance would yield the same kind of half-hearted response But the irony was, the people were so primed to hear this, that from the very top all the way down to the very bottom, everybody said, what you're saying is true, and we need to. And according to the book of Jonah, they did. And then Jonah celebrated, and it was all good. Nah, he was bitter, because he's like, those people I don't like, God saved them. Ugh, hate it. And if you read the book of Jonah, you you see that coming out. And Daniel's not that guy. He's the guy that says, God loves all these people. If he didn't, he would have just said, throw those Chaldeans and those occult operators and the witch doctors, in his mind, that's what he's thinking, throw them in the fire. But he said, no, save them. Save them all. They are lost souls. And it really illustrates two postures here for the church. One is, we can say, God, in the moment, I do not like my conditions or circumstances, but I do like and trust the fact that you're with me. So I'm going to make my peace with that. And I'm going to ask you, God, God, show me in the way that you find me useful how I can be salt and light to people around me. Do the thing that I know I can do on my own. And see what happens. Because I really think that God is t- saying to churches, and this one included, we got to pay attention to this. And we got to ask the question. Are we working for the peace and the prosperity of the city? Are we working to bless people around us? Are you working to show them signposts of the God and the character of the God that we worship? And if we are, then let's keep moving. And maybe you're in a place where you're just saying, I don't know, I don't know if I trust him. This story stacked on top of many other stories, including stories in this room. If you just ask, people will tell you, I didn't trust him, but I've learned to trust him. And he showed up in these ways. And I'm a different person because of it. There is something about the power of God at work in the life of a trusting individual that changes everything. Changes everything. You know, the, they say that if you have a very dangerous situation, you have three responses. Fight, flight, or freeze. And Daniel said, I'm going to freeze. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to lock up and shut down. I'm going to freeze and just say, God, you've put this in front of me. The conditions that I'm in, you've allowed. Show me what to do. And if you brought pain from the outside into this room, it's not that God wants it. It's not that God created it. But God allows it. For reasons we don't fully understand, and he's asking us, Can I go th- with you through it together? Us, and even more so, us together as his people. That is the vision, and there is so much stuff going on in this book. I struggle to even know when to stop, but we have to stop. And my hope is, and my prayer has been during the process of writing this stuff and proclaiming the message and just guiding our church along is that we hear God's voice in a fresh way. And for every one of us, he has something different to say relative to where he's taking us. And for us collectively, he has he has a collective sense of, hey, you guys need to do this. And the only thing I'm asking is that we would be attuned to that voice and that we would trust it. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we are grateful that as we gather in this room, we see things that happen not as past history, but as just things that always happen. We find ourselves overwhelmed by circumstances that affect our lives profoundly. And we find ourselves in this room trusting that If there's a word from you to hear, please help me to hear it. And we find ourselves in this moment together with the question, we don't know what's going to happen on the road ahead. Father, you've attuned our hearts and our minds, not just to you, but your son who in every way fleshes out your heart. And I know, Lord Jesus, that as you see each of us in this room, there's not a one of us that you say, I don't like you, but rather every one of us is near and dear to your heart in such a way that you said, I'm giving my life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you bore that cross, you despised the shame, you took upon yourself our sin, and you made a way. Lord, most of us are probably not Jewish or even connected remotely to that tradition. But yet, by your grace, you've said, I want you to. So thank you for people that have shared the good news. And thank you for allowing us to hear it again today. I pray for everyone here that that good news latches onto our hearts in a way that moves us in your direction. And if there's anyone here who hasn't made that confession of faith that says I believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God and there's no other God before you and I accept you as my Lord and Savior Lord I just pray that all of us could make that admission in this room and if there's someone who's not sure help us to be directed to their life in a way that we can at least show your love to them I just want to lift this time up to you that it would be fruitful even beyond today and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Go understand some of
1: this. Amazing. Jesus, Jesus mercy, mercy. by the Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah.
2: remain standing for a second. Scripture defines the relationship around the lordship of Christ that people share together and call themselves the church as as a defining feature. He calls us a covenant people. And a covenant is an agreement that people have with each other and with God. And Jesus is at the center of that covenant. And every week, uh, everything that we do, is really just leading up to the celebration of that covenant together, notwithstanding today. And the book of Daniel is a book that's quoted a lot in the New Testament. And I think in a lot of ways, what we're reading in Daniel is just a signpost to the reality of what's to come. And that is a savior is gonna deliver us. The King of Kings, who is the rock that destroys all the kingdoms and sets up his own. Something very special is happening in that sort of unseen way, but very real way that the life of believers who trust Jesus are able to see. The book of Luke describes Jesus appearing to a couple people on a road after he was crucified and they are despondent. And he describes why these things had to occur in a way that... um, kind of perplexed them. They didn't realize that they were traveling with the very one that they were mourning. And it says that when they came to their place, they invited him in, and they broke bread together. And as they did that, their eyes were opened because everything that was happening was really just a signpost to that moment. And in that moment, they saw. Part of recognizing the presence of the Lord is sharing together in this loaf and this cup. I don't know what he's gonna reveal to you. It may be something dramatic, but chances are it's very subtle in a still small voice. And so let's just take together as a covenant people and let's give him thanks and trust him to speak to us in his own way. Let's take the the bread. and the cup, and remember him, and I'd ask you to bow with me as um, we conclude our time together. Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the King of Kings, you are the Lord of Lords. You're the author of our faith, you are the giver of our salvation, you are the reason why we're here, and our hearts are in a state of surrender right now. We're about to leave this place as a covenant people, trusting that you'll be with us as you promise in that covenantal agreement. And so we thank you, Lord, and we thank you that you've given us a relationship and the terms of that relational agreement are defined through obedience and through following you and through trusting. And where we break those terms, your grace is sufficient. And your desire is to just draw us in even more. So thank you for the way that you brought us together and what you've given us to do together in this moment so that we can leave here strong, not in ourselves, but strong in you. To be an influence for you and to trust that everybody that you place in our path, well, they're there because you have something for them through us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May your grace and peace be upon us as a body as we leave today, and we pray this in Jesus' name.